Turn with me, please, to John chapter 8. We're going to be reading verses 37 through 50. In this passage, Jesus has been speaking to the Jews and he's defending himself, which is what he often does in his uh, teaching. He teaches and then they say, you're crazy, or they say something about him, and then he continues to teach, and part of what he teaches is about himself, which often amounts to a defense of himself. And his defense focuses on the fact that he's doing the works of his father, that he's speaking the words of his father, and essentially in teaching us who the father is and who he is. Today, in our passage, he makes clear why it matters so much who your father is. And this is a thought that right off the bat kind of scares us. Because it doesn't sound fair to say it matters who your father is. Does it? Because you didn't have any choice in who your father is, and there's a lot of different kinds of fathers out there, right? But it's central to the good news of the gospel. And so we have to turn away from judging God as unfair as we read this passage. Well, please stand as I read John 8, 37 through 50. Jesus is speaking and he says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come From God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? 
Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Mankind is split in this passage into two groups. And those two groups are those who have God as their father and those who have the devil, Satan, as their father. And this is not a split that is um, pleasant to think about, right? But it's very clear that Jesus speaks of those who have God as their father and those who have the devil as their father. Now, if the devil is our father, there are all sorts of consequences that flow from that in this passage. We see that ultimately, if the devil is our father, we will not be able to hear the words of Jesus without hating them. That's where he goes with the whole passage. That um, we will hate the truth that should have set us free. So right before this, right before what I read, we see this promise that we can know the truth and that the truth will set us free, but that if we are sons of the devil, what we see here is hatred of that truth. What else will happen if the devil is our father? Well, we will desire to do the deeds of our father, and he's described as a murderer and a liar from the beginning. And so, when we do desire those things, it makes sense because it's flowing from our own father. Right? Our nature as a son of the devil, is a nature of evil. It's a nature of murdering and lying. Now, of course, thank the Lord that there's not just sons of the devil, right? But there are sons of God as well. Now, is this something that you're born into? The difference between being a son of God and a son of Satan, or a son of the devil. No, we're all born. We're all born sons of the devil. And it is only by the work of God in us that we are changed from the one to the other. And this, of course, is the good news. It wouldn't be good news if it was just that you were born one or the other and that was that, right? We wouldn't, have any, we wouldn't have any good news to share. We wouldn't have any call to send out to other people to turn aside from the deeds of darkness and enter into the kingdom of light if it was all just where you were born. And the reason is because we would all simply remain in darkness. 
Now, in the church, it's often easy for us to assume that everybody is a Christian, that everybody is a son of God, right? And it's hard for us to assume that the church is made up of wheat and tares, as Jesus describes it. It's hard for us to, we have to constantly force ourselves to think about the church this way, as made up of both wheat and tares. And the reason that it makes us uncomfortable is because we don't, we don't want to think that there's such a stark difference between people who are sitting right next to each other. We don't want there to be such a major distinction that one group would be sons of God and one group would be sons of the devil and that we would all be together in one room claiming to be worshiping God, to be united in that work, worshiping God together, right? But of course, it's not just the case that we don't like thinking about that stark distinction within the church. It's also the case that we don't like thinking about that stark distinction outside the church. But of course, it's equally true outside the church, that in our day-to-day life, as we interact with people, we want, to, we want there to be this sort of broad swath of, of gray, right? That there's, that there's people who are pretty good, and then there's people who are very good, and then there's people who are excellent. And there's also people who are astounding, astoundingly good, like Mother Teresa, right? And of course, where did I start? With pretty good. There's nothing, I mean, every once in a while you see someone who's pretty bad. But we like to think that they're mostly in jail. That we don't interact with them. So this is our, this is our shades of gray, right? And now I want to I want to give some I want to give some uh, you know, some credit to that. The reality is that there are people who are better and worse, and that we do fall along a spectrum of goodness and badness, if you will. Okay, so there are people who are much more evil, and people who are much more holy in their actions, who don't give themselves to outward acts of wickedness. As to, to the best of their ability. And yet, all among that whole group of shades of goodness and badness, right, there are still only ultimately two groups in the end, those who are sons of God and those who are sons of the devil. And that's the part that makes us very uncomfortable. That's the part that we don't really want to think about. Part of the reason we don't want to think about that is because we have this idea that those who are good are those who are sons of God. And those who don't do good are sons of the devil. And then we immediately think, oh, but 
yikes, I do bad. Right? And so you, you, you don't want to think of yourself as a son of the devil, and we've got this incorrect understanding of the good news of the gospel. And so we think, well, if true Christians fall into sin and those who are not believers can actually do some good things, there's really not that much of a difference between us. Well, those of us who are true sons of God, who are in the church, who have holy lives, we can still do the deeds of the devil, can't we? We can still give ourselves to sin. We still do fall into sin as Christians. And also those who in the church who are tares, who are not sons of God, but are sons of the devil, but are, but are a part of the church's fellowship, they give themselves to sin. And so the church is made up of two groups of sinners. Those who are saved and those who are not saved. And this scares us, doesn't it? I said a second ago that we have a wrong understanding of the gospel. We have a wrong idea of the good news. And that, that wrong idea is... Uh, it can take various forms. One of the forms that it takes is perfectionism. Christian perfectionism, that once you become a Christian, you can work your way to truly never sinning. And really, that that's what you're going to do, that once you become a Christian, you stop being, ever really doing anything truly evil. That's one way that we get mistaken about the gospel. Another way that we get mistaken about the gospel is that uh, is to go totally the other direction and to say, well, we know that we still all sin, and so really, once you become a son of God, there's really not much of a difference. Nothing really changes anyway. We're all still just broken. We're jars of clay. This is all true, right? Uh, but, then to, but then to take that a step further and to say, and so there's really, no, there's really not much of a difference between those who are sons of God and those who are sons of the devil. Both of those flow out of a wrong understanding of who Jesus is, who God is. 
And so if Jesus here is telling them who he is, and he's telling them who his father is, it's to correct the same kinds of errors that the Jews were making as we make today. Because the Jews respond to him by saying, well, Abraham is our father. When he says, you're doing, in verse 38, you do the things which you heard from your father. And he says that in contrast to himself, doing the things that he has seen with his father. And so their response to him is to say, Abraham is our father. Well, this flows out of what we saw last week where they said, well, we've never been slaves to anyone. We're Jews. And of course, it's just, a, it's, it's just as absurd for them to say, well, Abraham is our father, as it is for them to say that they had never been slaves. Remember, they had been slaves for 400 years, right? And he points out that those who do give themselves to sin are slaves of sin. So the slavery is, is spoken of really in two different ways. You can look at it both as literal slavery in the land of Egypt and the metaphorical slavery of sin, which is also true slavery, right? It's just two different ways of, of seeing that we are indeed, they, they were indeed slaves. Well, it's the same thing here with Abraham, right? He says, I know that you are descendants of Abraham. I know that you are children of Abraham. But then he says in verse 39, if, Abraham, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. Now, what are the deeds of Abraham? Well, let me keep reading this. He says, But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. So when he says, do the deeds of Abraham, if you're Abraham's children, he's pointing out to them that they're not acting like Abraham's children. And therefore, they cannot claim Abraham as their father. Because they do not do the deeds of Abraham, they cannot claim Abraham as their father. Now, this holds true today with us and our fathers. If you think about the parable of the two sons, the one son stays at home, the other son says, give me, give me my inheritance and let me go, Dad. What he's doing is he's rejecting his father, isn't he? And he goes off and he lives a life of debauchery, giving himself to sin, he has done away with being the son of his father. And it's very clear to him that he's done away with being the son of his father because when he comes to his senses, what does he say? He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me a servant in your house. That'll be better than what I've been doing. Right? He wants to... 
He wants to return to being as close to a son as he can from what he has been, which is anything but a son of his father. And why has he been anything but a son? Well, because to start with, he said, give me my inheritance now, which is to say, I wish you were already dead, Dad. Because when do you get your inheritance? When your father dies. You are no good to me alive, Dad. The only thing you're useful to me is your money. Just give it to me and let's be done with each other. I'm no longer your son. That's that very first statement. And then all of his actions from then on are rejections of his father. Going and spending it on the lusts of his flesh. Right? And so our actions show whose children we are, don't they? And yet they also they also can show a change in who our Father is. They can show a change. Why do I speak of change? Well, because remember I said one of the dangers that we can fall into is being like, oh, well, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, and so I guess it just doesn't really matter what I do. I I know I look just the same as non-Christians in everything that I do and all the sins that I give myself to, but really... You can't expect me to actually be changed by this good news. You can't actually expect me to be changed in how I live. That's going too far. That's sort of extremist. That's like a focus on obedience and a focus on sin that's unhelpful. And what we see here is, no, what it does is it reveals who your father is. Your actions reveal. And so there ought to be a change when you begin seeking the Lord. If he has become your father, you will do the deeds of him. And so Jesus says to the sons of Abraham, if you are the sons of Abraham, which I know you're descended from him, then do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you're doing something else entirely. You're trying to kill me, someone who's given you the words of God. Well, Abraham had a similar experience. You remember when he was living separated from Lot. Lot was down, had pitched his tents down near Sodom, and Abram was up, was it by the Oaks of Mamre? And three men came to him. And what happens? Well, they give him the words of God. And what does he do? Does he try to kill them? No. Abraham honors the sojourner, the stranger in his midst. 
He's thankful for the words of the Lord being delivered to him, even though those words are the words of what? Destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and of Lot and his family. So, in spite of the fact that there's bad news, he honors these men, and then he prays to God that God would be merciful and that God would save these cities, these men. Thinking especially of Lot, right? And what happens is God answers his prayer. Now, do you see how different this is than how the Jews are responding? The Jews respond by trying to kill Jesus. And so what they reveal is who their father is. That their father is not Abraham because they're not doing his deeds. Now then it moves forward and you begin to see this this transition. When they said they were the sons of Abraham, what they really meant was what? They really meant that they were God's children. And so when he confronts them about Abraham and says, do the deeds of Abraham if you're Abraham's children. You are doing the deeds of your father. Well, they understand full well what he's saying. He's saying, no, you're not. You're not being Abraham's children. You have a different father. And so their response is, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. So they've just gotten done saying Abraham is their father, and now they make clear what that means to them. What that means to them is they are the chosen ones, the people of God. And that's why I started out by talking about us as a church. Right? The church is God's chosen people. And so the Jews respond to Jesus and say, we weren't born of fornication. And the implication there, of course, is unlike you, Jesus, unlike you, born out of wedlock to a single mother, we weren't born of fornication. We have one God, the Father. One Father, God. Now, this claim is as ludicrous as their claim that they have never been slaves. Okay? Because if you go back into the Old Testament and you read through the prophets, what you see is the continual reminder from God that they must stop committing adultery and they must return and worship him in repentance. So all through the Old Testament you have this theme of sexual immorality applied spiritually to the people of God. So when they begin to worship other gods, 
the Baals and Ashtoreth and all of the other gods that are mentioned throughout the Old Testament, okay, the, the gods of the neighboring peoples that they end up giving themselves to in worship. When they do that, God constantly refers to that as adultery. So, the, the, the fatherhood of God is rejected for the descendants when the husbandry of God is rejected by the people. Does, does that make sense? So, uh, the question is, you know, who's the dad? To bring it down to practical terms, it's who's the dad? And the, the answer that you see all through uh, the book of Hosea, for example, or in Ezekiel in various places, is that God is saying, not my people. Name them, uh, oh boy, Loruhama and uh, something Amani. Because they are not my people. That's, the, that's what he says in, in Hosea. And what does that mean? Well, not my children. He's commanded Hosea to marry a prostitute to demonstrate to them that they have been committing spiritual adultery and that the result, the offspring, are not his. Right? So then for the, for the Israelites at the time of Jesus to pretend like this isn't part of their history, like they've forgotten all of the prophets, is absurd. They know what the prophets said. They know just as well that they were slaves in Egypt as that, they, that there's this constant trajectory, this constant refrain of adultery on the part of the people and of rejecting God as husband and as father by the people of God, right? And yet they say, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And so Jesus responds to them and says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. What's he saying? Well, when Jesus, when you know who Jesus is, when you hear his words and when you see his deeds, if God is your Father, you cannot help but love him. If God were your Father, you would love me. You cannot help but love Jesus if God is your Father. So if God is your father, what is the result? 
Well, it's remarkably similar to if the devil is your father, except exactly the opposite, right? Instead of desiring to do the deeds of our father and them being murder and lies, we desire to do the deeds of our father still. It's just that we have a totally different father. Instead of loving the words of our father, the devil, and those being lies, we will love the words of our father, God, and they will be truth. So the result of having God as your father is a clear change. It's desiring to do the deeds of our father, God, like Jesus. It's loving his words and honoring his words, like Jesus does. It's that we will speak his words, like Jesus does. And we will be like Abraham, too, honoring those who speak God's words, even when they're difficult and painful words. But as Christians... If instead we give ourselves to the works of the devil, then the words of God will become harder and harder for us to hear and understand. And that's, that's the warning to those of you who are truly Christians. Okay? You can make it very difficult for yourself to hear God's words, to understand God's words, to love God's words. And how? Well, by giving yourself to the deeds of the devil. Theologically, an improper understanding of who Jesus is leads us to sinful actions. It leads us to attacking him, attacking his character, attacking his works. This is what we see the Jews doing, who do not truly understand who Jesus is and reject who he truly is. And it leads to a wrong understanding of his message, the gospel. And it leads to us attacking those who proclaim his words. All of these things flow out of a wrong understanding of who Jesus is. And yet it's also the case that when we give ourselves to those things, our understanding of who Jesus is is affected. In other words, belief and actions can't be separated from each other. They both affect each other, both directions. Wrong belief leads to wrong action, but giving yourself to wrong action will corrupt your right belief. So when you give yourself to sin, what ends up happening is you start, you start believing the lies of Satan. When he says, well, this isn't really that bad to start with. 
And, and once you've swallowed that one, then he says, and really, it, it, there might even be some good in it. And when you've swallowed that one, he, he ends up saying, and, and in fact, there's nothing wrong at all about this. And when you've swallowed that one, then people who say you shouldn't do that, you become angry and you lash out at them. And so wrong action leads to wrong belief just as surely as wrong belief leads to wrong action. They always flow together. Now, another way of looking at this is to think about the concept of fatherhood again, okay? Because basically what I'm saying is it matters who your father is. It matters who your father is. It affects your life. Your desires are molded by his desires. Your weaknesses come through his weaknesses. Your strengths come through his strengths. If your father doesn't know the first thing about how to work on cars, for example, are you likely to learn anything about how to work on cars? No. Practical outcome of who your father is, right? To say it matters who your father is, when I leave it at that level, is like, not offensive. But when we take it forward another couple of steps, we start to get very uncomfortable. In fact, probably even if I said you're not likely to learn anything about cars, somebody would object and say, yeah, but you could. Don't make such generalizations, right? You could learn something about how to work on cars. You might, you might learn from an uncle, or maybe there'll be, a, maybe you'll just pursue it on YouTube, how to, you know, watch a bunch of YouTube videos on how to work on cars, right? But even there, what am I going to say? I'm going to say, yeah, but your father has a pretty big impact on that, doesn't he? Whether you want to, whether you think it's worth bothering to learn that thing, whatever it is, is going to be affected by your father. In fact, sometimes it's affected exactly the opposite of the way that we assume We don't want to be like our father, and therefore we seek to do things that are different than him. And so we put a lot of time and energy into being different from our father, and yet even so, what's happening there? You're being affected by your father, aren't you? Who your father is matters. It's determinative of all sorts of things. Your intelligence, your IQ level is tied to your father. 
I don't say this to the exclusion of mothers, obviously, right? But you can't separate yourself from your father. Whether you grew up in church and your continued church attendance is determined by your father. You say, well, a lot of people come to church with their moms and not with their dads. And I say, yep. And you know what's interesting? When they turn 18 or maybe 16, if they're coming to church with their mom, do you know how many of them continue coming? Almost none of them. But if they're coming to church with their dad, almost all of them continue. Odd that, isn't it? Weird. It makes us nervous to say, to say stuff like that. <laughs> Does it make you nervous to hear something like that? Oh, boy. Your financial well-being, your education, all of these things that have come to be known as... Um, privilege, right? There's all sorts of good things that you can get because of who your father was that are, that, that are called privilege in a derogatory way. So, you know, you need to check your privilege at the door when you walk in someplace. What does that mean? Well, you need to give up all of the benefits that you got from your father on your way into whatever the meeting is that you're going to. Why would we give up all of the benefits that our Father gave us? Well, the reason our culture is, is pretty intense on us giving up any of the benefits of our Father is because our culture is intent on there not being a distinction between sons of the devil and sons of God. Our culture is intent on there not being a distinction between men and women, on there not being a distinction between fathers and mothers. They're both just parents, right? Our culture is intent on leveling everything and saying that everything has to be fair and everybody needs to start and end at exactly the same level of privilege and opportunity, etc. But what we see here is that who your father is matters. If God is your father, it will totally change your life for the better. There's nothing equal about having God as your father and having Satan as your father. It's entirely unequal. And of course, Satan is a liar. From the very beginning, what he said to Eve is, no, 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 if you make me your father, if you sin, if you eat the fruit, then you will become like God. It's exactly the opposite, right? How do we become like God? Well, by, doing his, by obeying his commands. But Satan says, no, no, you can become like God by disobeying his commands. He says, God is just trying to keep you from becoming like him. 
But really, what's he trying to do? Satan is trying to keep you from becoming like God. Satan is seeking to move us into the kingdom of darkness and to keep us trapped in the kingdom of darkness. And so it's fundamentally offensive to our culture that hates any sort of privilege when we read in this passage that God won't let us understand what Jesus is saying unless we are his sons. God won't let us understand Jesus' words unless we are God's sons. Verse 47. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. And it's just as offensive to the Jews as it is to our modern sensibilities. They respond and say, Aren't you a Samaritan? Don't you have a demon? Samaritan is uh, more offensive than demon, really. Uh, at, at this culturally, it's like, don't you belong to the KKK? That's, the, that's sort of the best analogy that you could give. It's just the worst, the worst possible group you could you know, assign to somebody. Yeah, aren't you just part of ISIS? Don't you have a demon? This is why adoption is such an amazing thing. We can't understand the words of Jesus. We can't hear the words of God unless God makes us sons. And how does God make us sons? Well, by adopting us. This is why I said at the beginning we start out not as sons of God. When Adam and Eve fell, Adam was our father. And we became sinful with him by nature. But adoption by God changes everything. It changes who our father is. It's not a partial thing. It's it's a total thing. You have a new father. God is your, is your true father. This is why adoption is unknown in Muslim cultures. Because, remember what I said, belief leads to action and action leads to belief. In Muslim cultures, yeah, they'll take in the sons and the daughters of their brother. But an outsider? just doesn't exist. You already have to own, uh, you already have to have ownership of that. You already have to have a right in that family for you to get anything from that family. But what God does is he takes his enemies and he makes them his sons. That's us. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. 
And then all of a sudden what happens is we get all those privileges that we didn't have before. We read earlier that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Why? Why is it the case that there's none of those things in Christ? Well, because in Christ we are all made male, Jewish, freeborn, sons of God who receive the inheritance of God by adoption. That's what happens. That's why there's no distinction anymore between us. The God that we worship has given us what we have not earned and what we do not deserve and what we have no right to own. Because we were not born in his house. But he has adopted us. He is not a hard father. He is a loving, heavenly father. And what better picture can you see of that love than the fact that he takes people who are sons of the devil and makes them his own sons, and gives them all of the privileges that come from that sonship. What a wonderful, wonderful love he has for us to do that. Let's go to him in prayer now.